Good morning, New City. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts that the seed of your word might be planted and multiplied. May we hear your word and bear fruit through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This morning's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saint for the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Jacob. Well, welcome again. Uh, My name is Damien. I'm the senior pastor here. I haven't been up here yet to introduce myself, so maybe that's mainly for guests and visitors. I'm glad you're here. And uh, this morning, as Ben said, we are in our third week of a vision series. And normally, uh, we try to place ourselves in a book of the Bible and go week by week and walk through the Bible passage by passage. But in the past few weeks, we've been more topical. And so this morning, we'll continue in that, that trend, although we were in Ephesians last week, and we will be in Ephesians again this morning. And as I, as I lead us this morning into our topic, uh, first, I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you the question, uh, what is your vision of an ideal church? Now, you don't even have to be a churchgoer to be able to answer that question. Right? If I ask you, if I gave you any time at all, you would come up with some, some things, some, a list of things, right? That you, you think would be important. You would have certain preferences. Uh, you would have a list that would be maybe shorter, maybe longer. But I know you'd have one, and, and I have one, right? We all have certain expectations. And there's nothing inherently wrong with this. I mean, Uh, But I will say this, the easier it is for you to come up with a list, uh, the more likely it is that you'll be disappointed, right? Because that's how expectations work. Expectations set our experience and they set our engagement, right? Whatever we expect, now we've created a standard, which is a normal thing. And whenever things fall short of our ideal, our experience of that thing is changed or affected, and oftentimes our engagement is. In other words, we tend to be more engaged the closer our church is to our ideal uh, description, and we tend to probably pull back the farther away we feel like a church is to our ideal description. And, And the reality is, is oftentimes, me included, we all need our expectations to be reshaped very frequently. I mean, we live in a, in a culture that is worshiping consumerism. And so it doesn't surprise me that I'm a consumer too. And that may sound strange to you. I come to church, even as the senior pastor, there are are parts of me that want everything in the church to be shaped in such a way where all of my desires are met, all of my needs are met, everything on my list is met. And it may be surprising to you also that the senior pastor, even I, don't belong to my ideal church, right? I love New City I'm so glad we're here. But the reality is, is it would be inappropriate 
for me to try to shape New City into my ideal church because it wouldn't be true and right to what God's called us, God, God has called us to in this place, right? And I don't always want all of the right things. I don't always desire the correct ideal church. And so this morning, we're continuing, I hope, to give all of us new expectations or recalibrate some expectations based on the scriptures, And so week one, we considered our vision of a flourishing church. And by that, we said, our vision is to see our communities flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw from Jeremiah 29 that all of us are sent into our various communities. That's everywhere we live, everywhere we learn, everywhere we work and play. That we should be for the flourishing and prosperity of those places. And in the scriptures, we see that wholeness is the idea of flourishing, peace or shalom. So that would be right relationship with God, right relationship with self, others, and creation. All of these things will be flourishing. And we said last week, well, how in the world are we going to even cultivate this vision? Because surely we can't attain this vision on our own. We need to partner with other churches and other organizations in the city. But how can we play our part in seeing this vision happen? And what we said is, well, man, we need to multiply whole life disciples in order to see this happen. And last week I described why we use the phrase whole life disciples from Ephesians 4, right? You can go back and listen to it, but I'll say at least this. And that is discipleship, the way the Bible teaches it, is invasive, right? It it touches every part of our life. It touches our calendar. It touches our checkbook. It touches our aspirations and our dreams. There's not a single place or nook or cranny in our life, that discipleship, following Jesus, doesn't transform. And so because discipleship has tended to be reduced to just a few things, maybe our favorite spiritual discipline or our our favorite topic of doctrine, we said we feel compelled, based on what the Bible teaches about discipleship, to be really explicit that when we at New City talk about discipleship, we talk about whole life discipleship, every part of your life. And so now this week, What I'm interested in doing is I'm interested in talking about the type of environment that's needed in order to multiply whole life disciples. Namely, New City must be a greenhouse for equipping. We'll see that from the text this morning. And to summarize what I want to teach us this morning, I'll say it this way. The pastor is to be an equipper and the equipped are to be ministry workers. Pastor is to be an equipper, and the equipped are to be ministry workers. So first, pastor as equipper. Listen, I got to start here because it's clear in our text, Paul gave, I'm sorry, Paul uh, gives us what the Lord, Jesus Christ, has given in terms of leadership gifts to the church, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And I'm going to mainly focus on shepherds and teachers this morning, and These are gifts given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. So it seems clear there, but in our day and age, in our country, particularly in the West in general, this isn't always obvious, right? The role and expectation of pastor has changed. Even if I take the last 60 years or so, there's lots of places that have written about this. Lots of scholars have spent time tracing this out. But oftentimes, our expectations for what the pastor should do has been shaped 
by the culture. So if you say 60 years ago or so, the pastor was to be another one of the helping profession, right? So basically at this point, psychology had won the day, a therapeutic culture wins, and that means sin goes away. So in the church, if we can't talk about sin anymore, if we don't tend to talk about sin anymore, why would you ever need a pastor? You have a therapist. And by the way, as you know, that's not a bad thing. But a pastor is not a therapist. They're not the same thing. It's not the same calling. And so essentially, sometimes seminaries, but also churches expected that pastors would sort of shift into this role more of helping profession, less of pastor shepherd or teacher, right? And that shaped expectations for maybe a generation. And then maybe 70s, definitely 80s, 90s, it then shifted to an expectation of pastor maybe as event planner, program planner, right? So the pastor became um, a role, leaders became a role in the church where certain programs were created for people to use some of their spare time to engage in the mission of God, right? But you need to create these programs for us and that's the role of the church, so do it. And so that doesn't sound a whole lot like equipping either. And then as of late, mainly because of media, podcasts, these types of things, also uh, a publishing industry that publishes a lot of things really fast. Sometimes we expect pastors and leaders of the church to be celebrity communicators, and that's probably the main thing right now. Pastors and teachers are supposed to be celebrity communicators, and so we share their podcasts, which I receive them, and I share them, and I'm glad about that. But if you notice, in our circles, it's usually a handful only, but there are a lot more pastors needed than a handful of pastors. And besides, they're not your pastor, and they're not my pastor, but I'm glad for them. But if our view of pastor leader is celebrity communicator, we also miss what Paul has done here. And so the reason I spend like five minutes just tracing this is because I don't think a pastor is a program planner uh, or a helping profession or even a CEO leader. I think a pastor and a teacher is called to be an equipper, which is what Paul has told us here. And however you view the role of pastor, that will shape your view of success for a pastor. It'll shape my view of success as a pastor. And if we view pastors mainly as equippers, success will be marked by the number of people who've embraced the places God has sent them, right? So the more of you who understand everywhere you are sent, day in and day out, moment by moment, that God has placed you there to do ministry. The more of you that embrace that, the more of you that are equipped to engage in that ministry, the better we're doing, the healthier of a congregation we're becoming. So a fundamental way we'll measure success at New City is how many people are growing in their understanding and engagement of mission in their everyday life. Right? In order to see our communities flourish, in order to multiply whole life disciples, we need to become a congregation that understands both the role of pastor and leaders differently, and therefore success may be a little recalibrated than we normally tend to think. So Paul is clear here that pastors and teachers are given to be chief equippers. And it's not because pastors and leaders are the most important people or even the most gifted people. But the pastors and leaders are responsible for cultivating and equipping congregation. That's our role. That's why we've been gifted to the church. 
And also, this will obviously be done differently by different pastors. So there isn't one way to do this, right? Depending on the personality of the pastor, the story of the church, all of these things can end up looking different. But the aim is the same. And that is, we must create a greenhouse for equipping in our congregation. And so with that, we also should be multiplying equippers. So we're not just equipping you, but equipping equippers. Paul tells Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be, a- be able to teach others also. So this equipping includes discovery, development, and deployment of your talents for service. And at the center of this equipping has to be the word of God. Otherwise, how else, as he says, will we build up the body of Christ? And if you read the rest of Ephesians, you'll see that he goes on to apply the law of God, the teaching of God to how we can live out our lives in a manner that's worthy of this beautiful calling we have as children of God. And so it has to be word-centered, but it has to be equipping-directed. And so commentators will point out that the Bible doesn't include a list of all the ways God gifts and calls his people, but the passage is clear that Christ gifts leaders so they can train believers to exercise their own respective gifts for ministry, but not to do all the ministry. Now, some of you are freaked out because you're thinking, well, why do we pay you? Right? I mean, why exactly do we pay you? Who's going to visit people in the hospital? You are. And so am I. Uh, Who's going to shepherd people in their greatest time of need? You are. And so am I. But if I come alone, or if I'm not seeing that there are ways and pathways and mechanisms that you all can be raised up and equipped for this type of ministry, if I'm not seeing that that's also happening, then I'm failing and we're failing because all of us need to further be equipped, right? Now, I need to be completely transparent. From my perspective, the only reason I am in pastoral ministry is because of this verse. That's the only reason I want to be in pastoral ministry is because I want to see people equipped I want to see people engaged. I want to invite people out of the stands and make sure that all of us have the skills, competencies, and character equipped to engage whatever game God has called you to play wherever he's put you. I want everyone out of the stands and in the game because that's why you were called. You're called to Christ to know him and then be sent by him wherever you are. You don't have to figure out where you've been sent because wherever you are, you know you've been sent there. But you do need to be equipped to get in the game, whatever that looks like for you. And actually, in the short run, this is a very difficult process. In the long run, it's the only option, right? I mean, in the long run, you say, how could we ever see anything happen unless we have a, a surplus of leaders being equipped, people engaged? But in the short run, it seems like a lot of work. I mean, it's something as simple as, Teaching your kids how to wash their hair. That drives me crazy. The more hair they have, the harder it is, obviously, right? I mean, I'm just thinking, dear Lord, I would really like to be reading a book or be in bed. 
not only now, but 20 minutes ago. I have to wash her hair. I know that she needs to learn how to do that. But it's faster if I do it. And we don't have to do it more than once if I do it, right? That would be insane, right? I can't, we can't just keep washing our kids' hair. We have to teach them how to do it, right? We know this, even in the simplest things, but sometimes it seems way easier just to keep doing it on your own. And I have to tell you, I have to confess, as passionate as I am about this idea of equipping, there have been many times why I've abdicated my responsibility of equipping and I've just done it myself. And, and, I've, and I've gone to the hospital and haven't invited someone else with me. I've gone to visit other people and haven't taken someone else with me, right? I, yet, I too am still leading all types of things that by now other people should be leading because I should have equipped them to do it because God's called them to do it, not just me. And so we can talk about it, but it doesn't always come naturally. And so I spend that much time at the beginning, on pastor as equipper, because we don't always tend to think about it. We oftentimes tend to think about leaders and paid staff, that their role is to create some type of program that I can use some of my free time to participate in when it's convenient for me. But that's not the call of the church, and that's not the call of the pastor. But if pastors are equipping, then the equipped then are obviously ministry workers. That's what Paul says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that would be all of you who are in Christ Jesus now to be, you are equipped as ministry workers. And there are two ways. First, uh, ministry workers for the body gathered, okay? And I, and I usually would say the church gathered, but Paul picks up on the imagery of the body of Christ in this passage. So let's go with that. Ministry workers for the body gathered. And by this, I mean using your gifts to minister to this local body of Christ, New City, for its building up, okay? New City must become a place where equipping and training and pouring into every member is normal. And not just from me, but all of you who have been poured into to pour into someone else and then for that to keep going. We need a clear pathway where all of you know what the next step is that you could take to be equipped in the faith and your needed areas of growth. And right now, it's not entirely clear, is it? And so that is one of the first things that I, that we have to give ourselves to is making this clear. And I repent for the fact that it's not now. Every one of you is needed in order for New City to flourish and to grow in unity and maturity. That's what Paul says. In fact, one of his main arguments is that until all of us learn that we are gifted and we have to get in the game, the entire church suffers. Paul says, until all of us are engaged using our gifts, the church will never be unified and will never be mature, if you read Ephesians. That's one of the things that he's arguing for. And so I want New City then, for example... Whatever this looks like at various stages of New City, I want us to be a lean, paid church staff. So does that make sense? Paid church staff, I want that to be lean, as lean as possible. And the reason is, is because that will create space for you to step in and to use your gifts as we need you to, as I want you to, and as I think this passage teaches us. And we need to call you and equip you and affirm you and using your gifts in excellence and joy for our good 
and for the design of Jesus' church. And in so many ways, this community is already extraordinary at this. There are so many extraordinary, I'll use this word because we tend to use it, although I'm not sure it's the best word, filled with extraordinary volunteers, right? Think about week in, week out. For example, how excellent our music is, volunteers. It's amazing. Think about our community group leaders who are pouring in time to love you and to serve you, volunteers. And by the way, here's another area that I would like to repent right now in front of all of you. In this last two years, with whatever has been going on, one way that I have failed you is that we have not been pouring into you like we said we would, and we have not been pouring into you like we should be and need to be. We've asked so much of you and haven't equipped you. And so I want to do better moving forward. Because New City needs to become a greenhouse for equipping in order for all of us to step into the game that God has called us to play. And so in so many ways, this church is already doing a phenomenal job. I mean, I could go on and on and on and tell stories of ways that you're ministering to one another, but a lot of you know that. The rest of you just trust me, it's happening. And as an equipping church, we have to continue to equip ministry workers for the body gathered. But if that's all we do, we still fail. We have to equip ministry workers also for the body as sent. There are 168 hours per week. If you sleep eight hours a night, do you, anybody? We could take a poll. It used to be you would brag on how little sleep you got. And now because of all the research, people brag about how much sleep they get. But it'd be great if we got eight hours. So let's take the ideal. If you slept eight hours a night, you want to do the quick math? I'm not good at that, so I will look at my notes. You'd have 112 waking hours, right? 112 waking hours. And let's say that you use 10 of those hours to serve at New City, right? Some of you are thinking 10 hours, that's insane. Some of you are thinking 10 hours, that's it? That would be amazing if I only gave 10 hours to New City. Wherever you are, let's say 10 hours. So now you've slept eight hours a night. You give 10 hours in service to the body gathered, excuse me, using your gifts. So that could be corporate worship, community groups, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, student community, whatever. That leaves you with 102 waking hours, 102. And if the church, if New City, if I don't speak to this, educate about this, affirm this, cultivate a vision for this, it would be an absolute tragedy. Unless you're paid by the church, which almost certainly most of you will never be, those 102 or so hours are your primary ministry to others and the place where you will become more like Jesus as you imitate him in serving others. Bottom line, that's not even controversial. You may feel clueless or even hopeless in how that happens, but it's still true. You see, I want to become a church that doesn't just equip for the church gathered, which is crucial, but also for your sentness into the world. Last summer, I did a pilot group for three months with 12 of you, and it was called Kingdom Calling. We read some stuff together, and we discussed some stuff together. And at the beginning, out of curiosity, I said, on a scale of one to 10, how many of you feel, or I think I said, how many of you are currently experiencing and understand that you're on co-mission with God 
wherever you are. How many of you are experiencing that and both understand that? With the exception of two out of 12, every single person gave a number less than five. And then I asked, how many of you is this your first time that a pastor has ever invited you into this discussion of the integrality of your life? You could say faith and work. You could say, and by work, I don't just mean paid work, right? Faith, work, vocation, the, 100, the 102 hours of your life. How many of you have, of you 12, have been called into this type of invitation? Zero of them. And they all grew up in church. And so if a church community fails to equip and encourage its members from Monday to Saturday, somewhere in that life, the life of that church community, at, at best, it's just unloving. At worst, it's failure. And so I want New City to be a church that's known for discipling and equipping, equipping their people for mission in all of life. To love our neighbor, to work excellently. Abraham Kuyper, in speaking in the mission of God and its relation to the church, says this, the marketplace of the world, not the church, he means church gathered, like what's happening now. The marketplace of the world, not the church, is the arena we wrestle for the prize. It is the racetrack where we wage the contest for the wreath. Far from being the battlefield itself, the church, rather, is like the army tent of the Lord, where soldiers strengthen themselves before the battle, where they treat their wounds for the battle, and where one who has become prisoner by the sword of the word is fed at the table of the Lord. He got a little wonky on us at the end. What does he mean by that? Prisoner by the sword of the word. Basically, what he means is that we actually believe the word of God speaks to every area of our life, that we are captive to it and we are directed by it and we are submitting to it and that it shines light everywhere we go. And because we understand that, because we believe that, because we submit to that, we expect then to come to this place and be taught in such a way where it actually matters tomorrow morning at this time, where we actually understand a little bit more what God wants from us, why we're on mission with him where he has sent us. And the fed at the table of the Lord, we'll talk more about that in a moment. And I want to say this, so many of you are engaging in incredible ministry week in and week out. When Paul says equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry, I believe he doesn't mean just in the church. The word is service. And so even when commentators would try to convince me and say he's mainly, primarily talking about unity in the church and using your spiritual gifts to build up the body to maturity, sure he's talking about that. But what mature body of Christ isn't ministering to those around them? What mature body of Christ isn't sending people out? I'm about to send 200 people and you guys too. Fourth and fifth graders, I haven't forgotten you're over there. Wake up. One of the things that I want to point out is that we say our communities are everywhere we live, learn, work, and play. So college students, you learn somewhere too. High school students, middle school students, fourth and fifth grade students, whoever you sit next to every day at school, 
God has put you there to speak to them. God has put you there to ask questions and ask how they are and to serve them and to use what you're really good at to help them. God's actually called you there and we want to help you love them. We want to help you minister to them. You too are on mission with God. You don't have to wait until you grow up and pay bills and get a job. But even tomorrow, when you guys go to school, if you don't understand, ask your parents what I said, which means you need to listen to what I'm saying so you can continue to further expound Ephesians 4 to your children. So some of you are engaging in incredible ministry, right? You don't even know it because it's never been called out. It's never been affirmed. You've never been educated on it. You've never been challenged to engage in it. I haven't asked you about it. And I'm sorry about that too. I'm doing all of these interviews for my doctoral dissertation and it's on faith and work integration. Uh, and, it's, and to be honest with you, it's hard for me not to talk about that every Sunday because it's, it's all in my mind, it's in my heart. You can probably tell. But one, uh, this is common, right? This is common what I'm about to say, but this is, I felt a little hyperbolic. The man I interviewed did not feel like this was hyperbolic. He's in his early 60s. And I asked him, what role has the local church played in equipping you for ministry in all of your life? Without missing a beat, he looked, well, we were, he lives out west, so he looked right into the camera, into my eyes through those pixels. And he said, the local church has been the number one disintegrating influence in my life. Now, that was strong, more strong than most, but it, it's not uncommon. And I've interviewed a lot of people. Most people will say something at best. Well, it's been a, found, a good foundation for my spiritual life. And I'm saying, well, what part of your life isn't spiritual? Uh, it's all spiritual. And as a Christian, we're to walk with the Spirit. <laughs> you don't stop doing that when you walk out of this room or in and out of a community group, right? And so... The bottom line is, is that at New City, I want us to become a place where we are equipping you for your whole life, which is why we say we need to multiply whole life disciples. And so I want to end with this, right? I am a leader in this church, okay? And there are other leaders in this church. But I want you to know that our relationship is one of partnership. Right? Because you are ministers. My ministry is unique in the sense that it happens to be mainly, primarily calling to equip you for your work in ministry. But I want you to know that I am not an expert in all things, even all things faith-based, right? I want to be eager to acknowledge that I am a part of the body of Christ, not the head of the body of Christ. And so as much as I have gifts to offer people needing to live out the gospel in the world, maybe offering some theological insight or perspective that comes from knowing some church history or spiritual discernment that comes from being trained and equipped in certain disciplines. And one of my primary job descriptions from the Bible is prayer. 
for you all. And so I help in those ways. But I have the security that says, I need to learn from you. I need you to tell me what it's like to be in that arena of the marketplace. I need you to tell me what it's actually like. I want to come visit you there. I've done this before. Instead of only house visits or hospital visits, I've come to people and I've gone to their work and said, introduce me to your coworkers. What do you do? Help me understand. I want to learn from you. I need to learn from you. And I really mean that. I don't just mean come and listen so that I can either have a sermon illustration or eventually tell you something you should know. I mean, really listen and really learn. And I want to repeat something I said. I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. I didn't come up with this vision. Jesus gave us this vision. So I'm asking us, let's all lean in and play our parts, use our gifts for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. That was a lot of words. And I ask that you would remove things that were not helpful. But those things that were helpful, Holy Spirit, would you, would you implant those things in our hearts and minds that we would not be satisfied with anything less than a multiplying, reproducing community of disciples, whole life disciples. We don't merely want a great big church organization only insofar as it's helpful that it allows us to equip more leaders in every area of life to care for one another better and to launch people out to where you've sent them. We want to be an aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship. So whatever today that I've said that could be implanted and produce growth towards this vision in the future, will you please water that and make that grow? In Jesus' name, amen.